you're almost forced to be your own jailer, your your own enforcer of the rules. It's it's so twisted. I can remember as a kid the very rare times where one of my schoolmates actually wanted to spend time with me and would say, "Oh, come back to our place after school and we we can play." And I my my heart would sink. On one hand, I was excited that someone actually wanted to play with me, but on the other hand, I knew it was never going to happen. Hi Cool Hackers, I'm your host today, Stephen Mather. I'm an ex-High Control Group member and now organisational psychologist. Welcome to this special episode. Celine will be back on Sunday, but as we've just launched our new name, we wanted to follow that up with something special. So I've decided to bring forward an interview I had with Cherie D'Souza for this special extra bonus. Cherie is from Sydney, Australia. She was raised as a Jehovah's Witness. She became a pioneer. She got married to a Bethelite. That's someone who works at the national headquarters of the organization. And of course, Cherie left Jehovah's Witnesses and is now a board member of an organization called Recovering From Religion. And she's also its international development director. This is an organisation that helps people as they struggle to leave their religious group, including, of course, abusive ones. You can find a link to their website, including contact details, on the show notes, so I definitely recommend checking that out. I had a great talk with Cherie. She's great company and is doing some really important work with recovering from religion. We talk about growing up as a Jehovah's Witness, becoming a pioneer, feeling the pressure of being a member, her finding out about her husband's doubts and her coming to terms with her own beliefs. We then, of course, get into her work with recovering from religion and their approach to helping people who've left all-encompassing groups, as well as talking about how society might take abuse in these groups more seriously, maybe even do something about it. So here's the interview. I really hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed talking to Cherie. Sherry D'Souza, welcome to the podcast. Ah, thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to having a chat with you. Brilliant. Well, we had a, a kind of um, pre-chat, didn't we? We, we mm. got together a couple of weeks ago just to have a quick uh first you know let's have a chat first and and i think to be honest we could have just recorded that and carried on for an hour couldn't we <laughs> probably could have because <laughs> it was so easy to talk um yeah. so re- really looking forward to having this uh, this conversation today um so sheree maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself and your your background um mm. as much as you like please sure so i live here in sydney with my husband sasha um we were both raised as jehovah's witnesses we left the religion, oh my goodness, seven years ago now. Well, okay. seven years for Sasha, I was still mentally trapped in and I yep. didn't come out of it until about five years ago. Um, but yeah, we're being raised as Jehovah's Witnesses, it was all we knew. We actually mm-hmm. believed it yep. <laughs> wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were both in full-time service um 
I left school in year 10 at the age of 16 and started regular pioneering from the age of 16 to 26. And Sasha finished his schooling, but then he started regular pioneering as well. And uh, he then went to Bethel, which is the headquarters of Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, he worked at Bethel for five years. Okay, so just, just for our non-ex-Jehovah's Witness um, listeners, pioneering is what? <laughs> so pioneering is going door-to-door and uh, telling people about the Bible according to the Jehovah's Witness lens. Um, it's volunteer work. So I supported myself financially by working part-time three days a week. Um, when I was pioneering, you you are agreeing to meet an hourly requirement per month. Yeah. And at that point in time, it was 90 hours per month. So um, it made me a very busy teenager um, between trying to earn an income and um, knock on people's doors. And I sincerely thought that I was doing the right thing and that I was serving God. And I, I, I felt that pioneering was the best way that I could demonstrate my desire to serve god Hmm. okay thank you very much for that yeah that clarity yeah because all jehovah's witnesses are expected to do the uh the the preaching work aren't they but pioneers have that um that commitment to spend so many hours in in the service as they call it so yeah it it is a yeah it's all encompassing when you're doing that isn't it Mm. okay sorry to interrupt you so you've um so you're a pioneer Mm. um and you you met um your husband's yep. Sasha, and he was also a pioneer, and he went to the headquarters at Bethel. Yes. yes. Okay. Right. Yes. So he was in Bethel for five years and um, didn't leave Bethel, in fact, until uh, just before we got married. And, uh, yeah, after that, after we were married, we continued pioneering for about 18 months, and then the pressures of life it was just too hard it was really difficult especially given that neither of us really had any trades or skills to mm-hmm. fall back on yeah. a fellow um, window cleaner window i was cleaner. i was one as well yeah <laughs> so yeah <laughs> which isn't the most reliable source of income <laughs> made it pretty tough and um i was pretty burnt out i have yep. to say i was just exhausted most of the time um, yeah, so we, we stopped pioneering, but we're still very active in the congregation. Um, Sasha was a ministerial servant and was a traveling speaker. So for those non J-dubs uh, listening, that meant that he was approved to yeah. give public talks in neighboring congregations. And I, yeah. as the uh, faithful wife, yeah. <laughs> went along with him to these other congregations so i suppose i say that all to describe the type of witnesses we were and so to to leave that was um significant yeah so um i, I recognize that in myself too i think it's interesting how the experience is quite different depending on on how you felt about the the religion at the time so you know I think for some people they have grave doubts or they don't really want to be part of it, but they're dragged along and they mm. kind of do what they have to do. And then, then there's a difficult time where they, 
get there, become, you know, adult enough to start making choices and so on. But I think, yeah, I think for people that experience it like, like you did. And I think like I did, um, you, you, you really believe it, don't you? You're trying mm. to, to do what you think is the right thing. Mm. Um, I don't know whether that makes us more gullible or not. I don't know, but, um, it's just the way we are, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And it, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure either about whether it was <laughs> gullible or, or a wanting to believe, or I, mm. I'm not quite sure about the psychosis of, of that, but be that as it may, I I believed that what my parents told me was true and I, mm. I suppose I didn't have a reason to not believe it at mm. that stage. Uh, and when you're completely absorbed and surrounded by it and everything else is discouraged, mm. you, you really don't have a measuring post at all. Um, if everything on the outside is other and evil and worldly uh, and demonised as a result, then your terms of reference are completely skewed. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we, we haven't spoken to an ex-Jehovah's Witness um, for some time, really, um, in detail. So it might be just worth exploring what it's like to grow up as a Jehovah's Witness and just get into that a bit more, uh, Shira. You've mentioned a little bit about it, but what is it mm. like to be a a child and then go through adolescence and so on. What, what's, how would you describe that, that uh, existence? It can be incredibly lonely mm. and high pressure. It's a lot of pressure. I was the oldest of two children. And so I was very much ingrained with the, you're the oldest, you have to set the example. Mm. And you feel that quite, well, I felt it very heavily. And there were no other witness children at school. I didn't have any other witness kids my age in the Kingdom Hall. And when you're going to school as a, a witness child and there's nobody else there that you can relate to and you're told that that's your special territory that you can mm -hmm. witness to and you're very young and impressionable and you realise or you're being told that all of these people around you are going to die at Armageddon. Mm. It's really messed up. <laughs> I look back now and realise just how messed up that is and how unhealthy it is for children to be put through that. But every day is a challenge because it's about things you can't do. Yeah. And how do you explain that? How do you help those around you reconcile the differences when you can't really reconcile the differences. Yes. So, you know, you're excluded from birthday parties and making cards for Mother's Day or Father's Day or Easter or whatever the celebrations yeah. are. Valentine's Day, you know, no making little lovely cards to someone else in the, in the class. Mm. Um, even down to wash and school assemblies and um, singing the national anthem, saluting the flag, singing a school song, uh, all of that is, is out. So you're constantly reminded every day that you are different from everybody else hmm. and you are pressured to always be giving the best example of a Jehovah's Witness possible. Yeah. So otherwise you're bringing reproach on Jehovah's name. Um, and so for that reason, for me, school was very lonely. 
I didn't mm. have friends and I felt keenly how different I was to everybody else. But I was so anxious to please as well. Um, yeah, so it's not it's not easy uh, being a, a witness kid at all. It set up my sister and I to have some conflict because she is she was two and a half years younger than me and when she started to come through the same school she's in year three i'm in year six and i've just spent the last four years of primary school being this very prim and proper jehovah's witness child who doesn't say boo and doesn't do anything to rock the boat and my sister comes in and she is miss popular she was so popular. In year three, at the age of nine, she had a boyfriend, Jimmy. I was, like, horrified because that is not how Jehovah's Witness children are supposed to be. But my sister was just living it up, and it actually ended up causing quite a bit of conflict between the two of us. But mm. That's interesting. I mean, that, that echoes what we said, doesn't it, how um, individual differences play a part here, how, how you respond to that sort of... Mm. um experience i think yeah that's that's very interesting yeah it is it is a really um there's always because at school obviously there's always something that's kind of on the go isn't there you know it's once you get you, you know you've got easter and then you've got um you might have a harvest festival and then you've you've got um coming up to halloween and then you've got christmas and then you've got Valentine's Day. So there's always something coming up next. And, and these are great activities for schools to do together. So you're able to paint pictures on the wall or you're able yeah. to make cards. or yes. And then, of course, you've got birthday thrown in as well, which which um, you're right. It's a very isolating existence. But worse uh, on top of that is this responsibility that you feel yeah. that you're told you have. Not only just to not get involved, but explain um, give a good witness as to why you're not doing these things. Yes. I, it's, it's, you're almost forced to be your own jailer. Yeah. Your, your own enforcer of the rules. It's, it's so twisted. I can remember as a kid, the very rare times where one of my schoolmates actually wanted to spend time with me and would say, Oh, come back to our place after school and we, we can play. And I, my, my heart would sink. On one hand, I was excited that someone actually wanted to play with me. But on the other hand, I knew it was never going to happen. Yeah. And very rarely did I muster up the courage to go and ask my parents and say, oh, I wanted to play. And they're good kids. You know? yeah, <laughs> Try to yeah. say that they're good. And my father would sit me down and he'd say, well, Sherry, do they love Jehovah? Yeah. And, of course, you say, well, no. Well, then should you be spending time with them? And so you're forced to be the person who says no to yourself. It's so twisted. Yeah, you're, you're coached into that. as a kind of coaching method, isn't it? Right. So rather than me telling you what you should do, Sherry, why don't you have a think about it for yourself, you know? Yeah. Um, but you're coached into doing something that isn't really in your interest. And then, as you say, not only that, but then you're ex, ex, um, expected to explain why. So it's a bit like a prisoner, um, not only being in prison, but having to explain to everybody that comes to the prison, this is why it's a good thing that I'm in this prison. <laughs> right, exactly. I can't spend time with you because you don't believe the same religion and you're yeah. going to die at Armageddon. 
and and you're not good enough for me to spend time with it's oh yeah yeah so so i think childhood you know um we i guess people people who have experienced that generally we we want to move on don't we but i think mm. it's important to um just reflect because obviously this is happening to children right now um you know there are jehovah's witness children in schools right now who are going through this and if you ask the children they will say oh i don't mind at all i don't mind that i don't have birthdays we have uh, or you know christmas we have presents all all the year round and it's the best life ever that's what i used to say that i guess that's what you used to say of course that's what children will say but you know it's only later when you're able to reflect back on it that you think about all that you missed and it's not like you know you you sit at home crying every night because you didn't get to celebrate your birthday but i think it's important to reflect on what life is really like for a child who's being brought up as a jehovah's witness or another group who practice similar things although jw's are probably quite unique in in the extremes to which they go to separate Mm. school kids i think Mm. All right. So thank you for indulging mm. us on that one. But I think it's important because it does inform, I think, us later as we get older. And I, I feel like it it might have, It's. it would be strange if it didn't have an impact on our adult life when it comes yeah. to making friends, socializing and, and all of that sort of thing. Completely um, agree. Let, let's let's move on to to your um, older years then. So you, you're, um, we kind of can pick up your story a little bit. So you're you're pioneering. You pioneer quite young, by the sound of mm, it. I'm 16. Yes. So 16. Um, so no chance of going on to further education or anything like that. No, I said no to it. So I was approached um, at school to consider going on to 11 and 12, um, and possibly university after that. But I already had my sights set on pioneering and uh, just saw any encouragement to do other than that as uh, temptations from Satan. So there was no consideration uh, of that at all. Uh, I was very single-minded about wanting to pioneer. And again, we have this choice question here. So a lot Mm. of um, cult apologists say, well, people make choices. Um, But, you know, as... Yanya Lalic talks about bounded choice. I think it's a really good example. You know, of course, in theory, yes, you 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 chose to go pioneering, but that was for a very good reason. That's because that's what you were told you should do. Exactly. Sorry, my friend here. I'm just watching your <laughs> lovely cat being very affectionate. And, uh... Oh, well, he's being affectionate only because he can see that uh, my unfinished dinner is just over here and he's very interested in that so um, that's the only reason why he's here and apologies when you hear this little meow it'll be him that's fine that's cool he's (laughs) he's very charming he's he's doing a good job Um, so this seems like quite a a few years between uh, pioneering meeting sasha getting married and then to where you are now. So could you fill yes. that little gap in for us? Please? Oh, that little gap, yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, probably fast forward a bit to where are we now? 13, 14 years ago, I'd say, yeah. um, where Sasha and I have decided that we're not going to have a family. And that decision, again, was very much based on the religion. Um, I have a few health issues and 
for us to have had a family, the only way would have been with IVF. And um, of course, we consulted what the organisation says about IVF. Couldn't square that circle and um, both decided, no, let's not let's not pursue that. We can have a family in the new system. (laughs) Um, Yes. And I felt at a bit of a loose end at that point because I'm in my mid 30s and I'm not going to have a family and I'm not pioneering. I, I felt like I didn't really have too much direction as to what I was doing. And so I did make an effort to consider pioneering again, but it actually caused a bit of strain in the marriage because my husband had his own business and he was um, needing my support and help with the business. And here I was gallivanting off (laughs) to go out witnessing. And, um, yeah, so when it it did cause a bit of tension between Mm us, I thought, I don't want that. I don't. I don't want tension in the family and if my attempt to try and pioneer again is causing that, I just stopped. I just stopped trying. thought, I'm not going to do that anymore. Um, Instead, I threw myself into work, which was actually something I think looking back that needed to happen because Mm. it helped me get enough space, mental headspace, to start to really think about the organisation, the teachings, the doctrines, is the world as bad as they say? Um, and my career was in healthcare. Uh, I was working with um, some specialists in the field of melanoma treatment and I admired their sincerity and hard work. Mm. They're just incredible good-natured, noble, wanting to help people that was motivating them to work Mm. the hours they were working. It certainly wasn't for money. Mm. Um, So that that started to create a little bit of space for me to think, as I say, and then um, unbeknownst to me, my husband was actually waking up and he was having questions about the organisation and didn't know how I'd respond to those questions, so he kept them to himself. Um, so you've got both of us going on this trajectory that neither of the other knows really. Um, by the, by the about 2012, 2013, my employers had asked that I do a diploma and get some university education to do my job better. And Sasha supported me doing that. But of course we obviously had to keep that on the down low because that's another thing that, um, Jehovah's Witnesses are not encouraged to do is seek higher education. Mm, Yeah. So we kept that quiet. Um, I finished the diploma in 2014 and it was only a year after that that a really big thing happened and that was that Sasha was found out to be on apostate websites. We had a young pioneer witness working for his business doing the bookkeeping. I trained her up. And, um, and then I had my own job that I was working that I needed the diploma for. Mm-hmm. This particular day in 2015, she's fossicked on his computer and discovered that he'd not logged out of one of the big ex-Jehovah's Witness online forums. Right. And so she saw his username mm-hmm. and she saw his handle and some of the many posts and comments that he had been making. Mm. 
And as any witness is going to do, she ran straight to the elders and told them what she had mm. seen. And um, they had an emergency meeting about it. The next day she called us to resign working for us. And um, we didn't know what it was about at that point. But eventually we found out what the reason was and then Sasha had to tell me that she'd left because she'd found right. that he was on apostate websites and that's how I found out my husband didn't believe anymore. <laughs> 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 Which was, um, I, I could not, I didn't see it coming. I just did not see right. it at all. So it was a big, yeah, yeah. it was a really big shock um, to find out and he was, distraught because he didn't know how I would respond and how I would yeah. react. Mm. Um, we both didn't, I was very confused, didn't know what our marriage actually was founded on then mm. if he no longer believed. So it was a very difficult time mm. for us. And in the midst of that, you had the elders uh, haranguing and harassing, wanting Sasha to uh, see two elders and we knew where that would head if that happened. Um, yeah, so that's that's really when it all started to change significantly for me. That's that's really interesting. I mean, there's a few things I'd like to pick up there, uh, Sheree, if I can. Yeah. So sort of going backwards, just just to clarify for, again for non XJWs, uh, apostate websites. So oh, yeah. this is this is a these are forums generally, aren't they, where mm. people who are either ex Jehovah's Witnesses or thinking about leaving mm. might sort of talk to each other and um, discuss what they are thinking and mm. if they don't believe and why they don't believe things and what the issues are. Um, and Jehovah's Witnesses take a real a real dim view of that, don't they? <laughs> what, oh, yes. what are the consequences of, of that sort of thing? Well, you're indoctrinated right from childhood that right up next to Satan and his demons to be feared are apostates are ones who yes. leave the religion. Mm. Um, apostates are given this narrative of being evil, twisted, bitter, mentally diseased, that Satan has them under his control and that they only want the destruction of your faith mm. and that they will be malicious and speak slanderous lies about the organization because they're now such bitter twisted people so mm. and you're told to avoid apostates like the plague don't listen to them don't don't even because they're cunning they're just like satan they're very cunning you start to listen to them and think oh that sounds reasonable and sensible next thing you know they're going to have you mm. so you have this fear of anybody that questions as soon as somebody starts to ask questions and have doubts and concerns the alarm bells start ringing in your head of all oh, this is this is treading very close to apostasy yeah. yes so it's it's a um <laughs> cult hacking cult hacking 101 is loaded language and yeah. and that you have very short word, uh, words or sentences that pack a lot of meaning and apostate is one of those for the for jehovah's witnesses it it means a heck of a lot um, and frightening. So to see that Sasha was on this site, right. um, I was terrified. And he was trying to be very open. Like he said, I'll show you the site. I'll show you where. It... And I couldn't. 
I my head was screaming apostate. <laughs> I just I couldn't see any of it. I was just so terrified. Yeah. And and that's um, as you say, that's kind of. I think sometimes there's a a bit of over mystique. I don't know if that's a proper phrase, but there's too much mystique. I think sometimes mm-hmm. about some of these methods. I think it's it's pretty simple what they're trying to do here they're trying to make anybody that disagrees somebody to be really frightened of aren't they so and that's that's not clever that's just tactical isn't it so they're they're making uh people like you and i and others who say things that they don't like out to be some ogre who you really need to be frightened of and that message is absolutely pumped into you um and that way, of course, you're not going to listen to any alternative views, any critical thinking, any discussion about what is right or wrong or true or false. I mean, if you're a cult, that is, yeah, that's in the in the first page of the first chapter, isn't it? This is what you yeah. do. Another one you've mentioned is about higher education. So yeah. what is it that Jehovah's Witnesses fear about higher education? Well, I mean, ultimately, <laughs> you don't want people to be educated to ask the questions that are then going to lead them down the path of apostasy. <laughs> that, that's that's the nuts and bolts of it. But they don't package it that way, of course. The, the way they package it is that, first off, if you are getting divine education within the organisation, why would you want education outside? And because they're so black and white an absolutist in their thinking it's if it's not within the organization by default it's therefore from the world equals satan demons so why would you want to seek an education in this world and then another factor to that is this world is dying it's going to be destroyed armageddon's not far away why would you invest in knowledge and learning of a dying world so they, they spin it in those ways. And they also will spin universities as just hotbeds of immorality and debauchery and political unrest and not healthy places to be. So, again, another reason of why would you go there? And, yeah, so you if you make the decision to provide yourself some education, and and learn something then you're putting yourself into quite a difficult position and so as i mentioned when i did my diploma and i have to say learning how to learn learning how to think learning that doing an assignment or an assessment is not just looking for the answers in the paragraph that you just read but it's actually oh i have to look at these different models and theories and make some conclusions on my own and present yeah. those conclusions somehow it was it it made me start thinking in a way i'd never had before that's a really good point uh Shree. um you know for the first time you're encouraged to actually critique the things mm. you're reading aren't you and say actually i don't agree with that and here's why and um here's some references to back up my position on this and and that's just like you you thought we thought we did study when we read a paragraph in the watchtower and underlined the bits that had the answer in but that's not studying (laughs) no no it's not at all but yeah 
you just don't realise that. So this is why higher education is a problem for the organisation mm. because you can't have people learning how to think. That's right. They only need to think this way of thinking mm. and these are the questions you're allowed to ask. There is this whole host of things that you are not allowed to do. Uh, yeah, it's, um, it's very toxic. <laughs> So inevitably, though, they did find out that I was doing this course after I'd just graduated. And um, right. that went around the congregation, shock horror. That And Sasha was still a ministerial servant at the time. So he got hauled into the back room by the elders and told to get, really? his, life, get his wife in line. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, but because he was already on the path to waking up, he, mm. I... I don't even think he told me at the point that that's what happened. It wasn't until later that he then told me that they had done that. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can support it by becoming a patron. You can support the podcast for just £1 or $1.50 and receive a variety of Patreon benefits as a thank you. Don't forget to share the podcast, follow, like, subscribe and rate the podcast on the podcast app you're using. A review is particularly helpful as it gets us recognised by new listeners. And finally, if you'd like to reach out to us and tell us about some court hacking you've been involved in or you just want to say hi, you can do so by going to courthackers.com and using the contact form. We love hearing from our court hackers. Thank you for listening and now back to the podcast. Right, wow. Okay, thank you for for, um, backing up on that. That's really interesting. Uh, Right, okay, so cliffhanger. Um, (laughs) We've uh, we've left you where you suddenly find out that uh, that Sasha's going on these apostate websites. I mean, you know, I guess um, people might sort of smile at this because it could be worse, couldn't it, what you find um, your husband doing? (laughs) Right? But to be honest... Stephen, I was expecting, if anything, maybe it was pornography, I don't know, but but no, he was looking at apostate websites, like the yeah. worst thing he could possibly do was that. Yeah. It just, I, ugh, it was um, incredibly shocking and that, that weekend was very difficult for both of us mm-hmm. because I was very tentatively asking him questions on what the issues were and and he was tentatively answering yeah. without trying to rip the band-aid off too severely um but as i questioned him i began to realize this goes a lot further than just the jehovah's witnesses and i finally got the courage to ask him what he thought about the bible and what he thought about mm. god and he had some pretty serious reservations and concerns about the Hmm. Bible and about the character of God. So um, it went as far as it could possibly go. Hmm. And so I didn't know what that meant for our marriage. What did it now... What so did it can you, you said that before, and I think that's really interesting, mm-hmm. and I recognise that because we were in a similar situation in many ways. Um, what, but could you just expand upon that a bit? What, why, why do you then look at your marriage and think, well, how does this make sense? Only way I can describe it was, and this goes back to how we first opened the conversation on the type of mm. witnesses both of us were. Mm. Another thing for your um, any non-witness listeners is that the religion teaches that you are to only marry in the lord 
you are not yeah. to have a relationship outside of the religion. But for Sasha and I, because we were both in full-time service, we wanted someone who was in full-time service. Yeah. So there was there was a criteria that we each had. And so our marriage rested on that basis, mm. that the, the religion was first and foremost and all of the things that you expect of a husband and a wife in that context was what I thought our relationship was based on. So when I find out that he no longer believes in that, doesn't believe in the Bible, doesn't believe in God, then I'm left to go, whoa, what is our marriage actually based on then? And I, I didn't know where the boundaries were or the parameters were anymore. And so this led me to ask some very embarrassing questions <laughs> like, what does this mean? Are you going to start smoking? Are you going to start swearing? Are you, I didn't know what I really wanted to ask was, are you going to go off and sleep with other women? Are you like, what, what, what is this going to be now? I, I just had no idea where things were sure. and that frightened me enormously. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. I think that's, that's a really important uh, point that perhaps isn't really understood that much. Um, and it, and it echoes similar things. I think that happens. Uh, I've told, told my story on, on the podcast uh, a couple of years ago and my wife's also come on and talked about it. So I'm not, saying anything out of turn here but i think you know when when you do get married as two jehovah's witnesses um because everything revolves around the the faith and everything you know that's kind of the glue that holds you together in some respects and, and when when that's gone then you do you do understandably have to ask questions you know is, is this what what is this uh this relationship that we've got and um, yeah that that can be difficult we've we've talked about it on the podcast but yeah Okay, well, you obviously managed to get through that. So yes. what was the secret um, for you? Well, I think Sasha had um, he'd created such a peaceful, calm, loving, nurturing environment at home before this had happened that I, I, I really had thrown everything I had into work and so I was starting to miss meetings um, he never judged that ever. He was, if I had to say, look, I'm not going to make it tonight, that's no problem. Just get home when you can. I'll see you after the meeting. Like there was never any judgment. And he would come back from the meeting and then tell me how he'd played defence for me at the meeting mm -hmm. from people going, oh, where's Sherry? She's not well because that's the only reason you cannot be there. Mm. And he'd be like, no, no, she's great. She's doing really well. She's, you know, she's busy at work tonight helping people who've got cancer and um, I'm so proud of the work she does. Mm. They had nowhere to go with that. And Good so he'd come that. home and tell me that and I'd hear, like, there's no judgment from him. This is a safe place. I can be who I want to be and I have his support. And that, that started to make our marriage rest on more than what I thought it rested on. And that held us in good stead, really. Mm. Um, and he's, he managed to do that even after he'd been exposed. Um, 
we did go to one meeting after that was the circuit overseas visit the next weekend and um corrugation i've never been so uncomfortable in a kingdom hall than that time really because you know that silence when you walk in and there's all the shifty glances and mm. they're here. it was like that i felt so mm. uncomfortable and it took me a while to work out that who they were most scared about was sasha yeah not knowing what he might do or say to anyone else and i after that meeting i was just I don't ever want to walk into a kingdom hall again. Yeah. Um, mm. And so we didn't. We we just began to live our own lives. The, the elders kept chasing Sasha wanting a meeting and he just kept going, no, not meeting with you. Uh, if you want to just have a coffee and a friendly chat, sure. But if it's anything more than that, no, I'm not getting involved, not doing it. Um, the elders did chase me for a bit. I realised now they were looking for a second witness. They only had this one witness's mm, word. Right. Sasha wasn't agreeing to go to a meeting. Yeah. So the only other way they could take action on him is if they had another witness. And I wasn't playing the game either. That's so interesting. So you suspect it was this two-witness rule that we've yep. heard about so much in yep. relation to things like uh, child abuse and so on, but it still applies to any other, or at least to other sins, I suppose, as they would describe them. Um, Correct. Okay, so they, they wanted to talk to you to um, to get confirmation that, that this was actually happening. Yeah. That's interesting. And I was uncomfortable about talking about him without him yeah, being present. So mm. after I'd had a conversation with one of them and I told Sasha when I got home from work, so-and-so called me today, here's the conversation. He said, how did you feel about the conversation? I said, I don't like it. I felt like I'm dobbing on you and I don't like that. Yeah. And yeah. so Sasha said, do you want me to call him and tell him to stop calling you? And I said, yes. And so he did. He called this elder and said, stop harassing my wife. Hmm. Um, so we stopped going to meetings. The elders stopped harassing. We just lived life. We, we reclaimed Sunday's and Saturdays and Tuesday nights and great. oh, and it great. In. oh my goodness, just <laughs> unbelievable! It's so refreshing, so refreshing. Yeah. Um, and we go and have Sunday brunches together, and we go, let's go down to the Southern Highlands and go shopping, or let's just go away for a weekend, and yeah. let's go to a music concert, and we just enjoyed being together without the pressure, the constant. Yeah pressure um and sasha even through this stage never threw anything at me of like he didn't expect me to become awake out of the religion as well i wasn't i was still mentally believing but i didn't oh, okay. like what had happened and i yeah. just let life take over um so it wasn't until 18 months later when i read the um royal commission report into institutional response to child sexual abuse yeah yeah that 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 did it i read that report and um i was so horrified i was so horrified especially because i knew a lot of the people involved in those cases i right. knew i knew the bethelites that the, the branch committee and um i knew some of the people that have been involved with the bcb case um I was just 
absolutely horrified and I realized no religion that claims to be the one true religion and yet be guilty of such things could possibly be the one true religion. And so the, the house of cards came tumbling down very quickly after that. But even then, Sasha didn't, oh, now that you found that out, what about this? What about? All he did was sit me down, give me support, and then um, if there are things that you'd like to know, here's a website that I found helpful that you can have a look at, JWFAX. Um, and I started to look through that and learn. Um, everything started to fall apart very quickly after that. So I'd run to him and go, did you know 607 was a winner? And I'd be going off about something and he'd just nod and go, yep. <laughs> yep. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, that's that's great. So that, that's that's a great way to, I suppose, lend, lend support and, um, and yet, yeah, allow you to go through that process of, of waking up and, um, yeah. and and yeah doing that hacking for you for yourself you know being able to, to own see it. he let yeah. me own my own process mm. and I, I'm eternally grateful for that because yeah. I don't know how he had the restraint I don't know if I could have had the restraint if the roles had been reversed <laughs> but um, I'm very grateful for that because it it gave me the space that I needed to control that process yeah. yeah, I think um, uh, it mirrors a little bit. I think what what happened with us. I I, I left first, and um, we didn't really. Sarah and I didn't get into much of a discussion really about about all of the reasons why. I think I did explain why I had my doubts and everything, but it was my thing really, and I, I didn't push it. Mm -hmm. Well, I think for me, partly that was because I was still very unsure myself. I I didn't right. know what I believed, and so. Yeah. I was very conscious I didn't want to ruin anybody else's faith. Um, I was struggling with my own, you know, and, and that carried on actually for quite a few years. I'm very, I'm a very slow thinker, you know, so it took me many years to decide to talk about it. Um, uh, but yeah, because I, I, I felt, well, you know, it's up to everybody what they, what they believe. And of course it is. Mm -hmm. um, but that doesn't stop you from having an opinion and, and voicing it, does it? No. Um, all right. Well, this 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 is brilliant. So um, you're now completely. Uh, we'll, we'll skip to the point where you're completely awake and you're. Yep. Um, you're you're well, you're well rid of of all of that indoctrination. Um, mm. I want really want to get on to your work with recovering from religion because mm. this is mm. such a great idea, mm. and absolutely vitally needed. I I hear this constantly that people need more support. So could yeah. you tell us a little bit about that, please? Uh, yeah. Yeah, so um, because of what Sasha and I had, had gone through, we, we really wanted to be able to support others as they came out. And I think yeah. we both recognised that there isn't much support when you're coming out. There's this period of time where you haven't reached out to any exes yet. You're too fearful and you're in this no man's land of you don't have any friends or any contact with anyone so it's it's quite i'm very grateful because i had sasha through that but sure it, it's tough um so when we're both out of it we really wanted to help other people um that led to us in june 2019 currently i think it is at least in australia the biggest xj dub event <laughs> we had 134 <laughs> um wow. ex jehovah's witnesses come to sydney and um, we had an event for them 
with speakers and you know all sorts of different things we mm. somehow managed to have angus stewart of ah, the, the royal commission fame come mm. along and um we presented him with a like an award and a, mem a memento to thank him mm. for on behalf of the xjw community of how much work he had done um, it was such a positive afternoon it was so it was just wonderful it felt like a big hug around everyone and i had about six people come up to me throughout that afternoon wanting to help and they were giving me their mobile numbers and email addresses and if there's a way we can help others tell us that i'm happy to talk to someone hmm. and i'm thinking how are we going to organize this I love the idea, but there's a lot of work in trying to set up some kind of support organization. Anyway, I mentioned this in passing to a friend of mine in the States in uh, Colorado, who's the next witness, Shanna Rubio. And um, she said, why don't you think about recovering from religion? I think you should have a chat with Daryl Ray and um, have, a, have a chat about what you could do there in Australia with recovering from religion. And I'm like, what's recovering from religion <laughs> she was on the board she is on yeah. the board uh, so um she arranged for me to have a chat with daryl and basically it had the framework of everything that i was looking for it had it, it has a 24-hour um seven-day week helpline so people can call no matter where they are and speak to someone who's been trained to offer peer support it's not professional it's peer support who can listen to you and help direct you to resources that that will assist in your situation right. they run support groups um, specifically for religious trauma survivors um, they have an online chat um, so if you'd rather chat uh, like type it out rather than talk to yeah. someone um, they have a list of resources that I have not gotten to the bottom of. Those resources are absolutely fantastic. But they had the model, the framework that I was looking for. They had already had the policies and procedures, the training programs, everything that I wanted so that I could set something up here in Australia. So yep. it was very easy to then become a volunteer and start up the first support group in Sydney just before COVID. <laughs> so it's always been on zoom but um the support group has just been fantastic um we have two meetings a month now for that particular group and um, we recently uh it was probably in the last nine months started another group in perth and we're planning for another one in adelaide um so that's how recovering from religion has sort of started in australia Right. I had no idea where it was going to go from there. Um, but about a year after the first support group, um, once we had a, a core of uh, good Australian RFR volunteers, we formed a leadership group here and really looked at how can we expand mm. this? How can we bring all aspects of it? Because we recognised there was a gap here in Australia of not having... There's lots of different support organisations, but not a face-to-face, -face front, like forward-facing one to actually help people mm. front and centre. So um, we started the leadership group and following that, 
I get a call from Dr. Ray inviting me onto the board of Recovering from Religion. I've been on the board now for about 18 months. And um, since Australia was the first country outside of the US to really start promoting and bringing the, the programs that they offer um, elsewhere, um, I've been appointed the International Development Director <laughs> for wow. anyone else in other countries. I know it's so audacious. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, there and there are others. So New Zealand, yeah. we've got a core of volunteers in New Zealand that are just starting to uh, look at starting their support group and wanting to have um, support services there. And um, there's a few other uh, countries around the world that have also expressed an interest. Mm. So I'm loving it. It's um, it's really great work to be part of. It sounds really exciting. Mm. Absolutely necessary. We, you know, we even on this small podcast, we we get contacted by people to say how difficult it's been and and um, how difficult it can be to get support. So I was just trying to build a picture of what what that's like. So I guess somebody might contact the organisation and say, look, I'm I'm in the process of leaving or I've just left my religion or my cult or, or whatever how do you how do you help them what what is it they need at that point depending on the circumstances in most cases a listening ear does yeah. incredible wonders what people struggle with the most in my short experience is that they don't have a safe place to go and talk to mm. there's nowhere that they can tease out their questions without recrimination and that's what RFR offers. RFR is not about conversion. It's not about telling you you're right or wrong. It's not about any of that. It's not about atheism. It's not about believing or not believing. It's just about being there at a point in time when you need help, when you need a bit of support, when you need someone to just go, it's okay. Hmm. We hear you. We understand. Here's a few resources that may help you. And we'll always be here to listen. Mm. That I think is incredibly empowering uh, and validating for the experience someone's going through. The support groups, I know in my own experience, hearing other people from other backgrounds describe very similar emotions, very similar repercussions. And you, you're like, I thought that only happened with the Jehovah's Witnesses. And no, you've got exactly the same thing happening there. It, it broadens your perspective and it helps you put things into a better context. Um, it's very healthy, I think, to do that so that you don't think it's just you that it's happening to or it's only in this little bubble. But this type of harm, this religious harm, is happening across so many different... We have... Mm. People from all sorts of different backgrounds come along to the support groups. Um, they're not necessarily Christian. We have quite a few that come from the Muslim faith. Hmm. Um, we have people who come along because it's still on Zoom from other countries in the world where they're not at liberty to say anything at all. And just being able to hear them get their words out and speak, some of the favourite lines I hear is this is the first time I've said this out loud. And I love that. I love that recovering from religion can give someone that space where they feel safe enough that they can say these things out loud for the first time. 
I reckon that's just so incredibly special and I love being part of that. that that's fantastic and, and I think it, it is so important because again it's a very it can be a very lonely place mm-hmm. can't it mm-hmm. um, you've said that growing up as a Jehovah's Witness is a very lonely place but again you have this the, the one community you have is the Jehovah's Witnesses or whatever other group it might be. When you leave that behind, you, you've not even got that anymore. You know, you you are right. you can be terribly isolated, and I think that's again that's such a such a difficult place to be, and the reason why people go back, even though they don't believe it, even though they know it's not true, um, they go back because they're terrified of being alone. Yeah. Um, of course, with with Jehovah's Witnesses and others, um, there's the threat of disfellowshipping or shunning. Um, so I'm guessing when you speak to people who've come from Jehovah's Witnesses, they may be being shunned at that point mm. um, by relatives and friends and so on. So yeah, it must be very isolating. And to have somebody there that you can just talk to and pour your heart out to sounds like a really important thing. Ah, oh, vital. And I. I can think of um, some of the meetings we've had where we've had women call in from Middle Eastern countries. Yeah. I just, your heart breaks for them to hear yeah. the struggles that they are going through, but to hear their gratitude that they've at least got somewhere hmm. to go, somewhere where they can talk. It's, you know, I, I'm really glad that I came across Recovering from Religion and that, um, they've allowed me to take it in whatever direction I've wanted to. It's just amazing. Yeah. Um, so the um, we'll put the link to the website on the mm. show notes, of course. Uh, recoveringfromreligion.org is what I've got here. Yes, that's right. um, and then I guess you you jump then to whatever region you're, you're interested yeah. in. Is that right? So there is a um, schedule there where you'll be able to see where the meetings are. There's over 63, 64 groups internationally now. Okay. Um, so you'll see the schedule of when they all are and all the Zoom links for those that are online. Um, we've started up some new special groups. Um, actually, this Sunday there's one which is for women because women coming out of these religions have another bit to break down yeah. and that's the, the gender roles. And the misogyny and patriarchy of of these religions so you find that after you've broken down a lot of the theology you then have this other work to do of your identity as a woman so that group has come about particularly for that purpose heavily attended it's wonderful such a great group i love that one and we've just started a brand new one. It's only met once so far for the LGBTQ uh, community because it, they need a place desperately mm. to talk about mm. how oppressed um, mm. they have been and, and how many have had to deny who they are because of religion. Yeah, that, that sounds sounds fantastic. And you've, you've mentioned the word identity there, and that's something mm. we, we normally uh, get into the conversation because it, I think it is such a, a big area of difficulty when you leave you you know everything you thought about yourself your the way you talk about yourself your self-narrative if you like is related to this being whatever that religion is jehovah's witness or, or whatever um and i think part of the process of recovery is is actually learning to tell a new story about yourself yeah 
these discussions that we're having today and the sorts of discussions that you're facilitating through recovering from religion i think are doing part of that job it helps people to be able to make sense of who they are now it's, it's yes. part of their recovery i would suggest yeah absolutely totally agree in fact you just used an expression that i um use often of that it helps me make sense of the madness because <laughs> <laughs> i still even i'm i'm blown away at how life has changed for me the complete 180 is just um it still boggles my mind where i am now and but but very positively and and mm. how much satisfaction i get out of life now i've just um i don't think i would have ever been as happy as i am now if i'd stayed no i know i wouldn't have been so yeah so we're doing lots of work here um we also, this this is quite ironic and I love it. Um, I've also been working with one of the universities here in Sydney. Cool. Um, University of Technology, Sydney. And uh, I've been working along with the Dean of the Faculty of Arts and Social Sciences. And um, once we had recovering from religion sort of start up and happen in Australia, <laughs> we've worked on having a collaboration between Recovering from Religion Australia and the university. And as a result of that, a fellowship position has been created and I was appointed as wonderful an honorary fellow of the Faculty of Arts and Social Sciences, which is just, to me, it's so hysterical. I love it. It's, <laughs> it's just fantastic. Um, but we're using that appointment to, to really raise the platform of religious harm let's talk about this and let's get all of the players all of the people involved you survivors of these religions let's hear their stories let's get the mental health professionals there to talk about the harm and what treatments and what support is needed let's get policy makers and lawmakers and media and journalists and everybody there law enforcement everyone that is affected by this hmm. let's talk about it because we should not be tolerating that this still happens that's what i really want to achieve if possible i really want to get these conversations happening to say enough is enough we this should not hmm. we should not be tolerating it in today's society religion should not be getting the pass it gets when we start talking about things like domestic violence coercive control we have those conversations but we miss one of the biggest players in the room, which is religion. Yeah, why do you think that is? I mean, I've got my own opinions about this, um, Sheree. What, why do you think um, it is that religion gets this free pass uh, when it comes to behaviour that we, we tolerate? Ugh, it's a complicated question, and my disclaimer is I don't have enough education to give a really good, <laughs> well-balanced, educated response. I don't have that. So I'm only going off... I suppose my own thoughts and opinions on this i think that we all say everybody has the right to believe they have the right to choose what they want to believe and you also hear another expression of i don't care what other people believe as long as they don't hurt someone else but i'd like to challenge that now and say how do you quantify or qualify that hurt what how are you measuring that hurt because child indoctrination is hurt 
and therefore what someone believes does matter now how far that goes I can't say I don't I'm not qualified to make that kind of call as to you know, where does where does all of it sit where are those lines over what someone's allowed to believe and when it becomes harm and hurt I don't know but we need to start having discussions about this so that we can try to find those lines because too many people are being hurt and badly so what are your thoughts what do you think well um I, I I agree with you I think it it's partly um an anxiety in in uh I suppose we, we could say progressive societies um it's there is an anxiety to ensure that people have freedom of mm. belief freedom of worship because we know all too well what happens when governments start to rain down on minorities or on religious beliefs and and uh, even you know beliefs that seem a bit different to ours can seem very strange and frightening and that's where persecution happens and mm. you know we, we have a long history of religious persecution in in the world mm. so i think that's at the heart of it, there's this anxiety that we don't do anything to bring that on again. Because, of course, there will be people who will uh, jump on whatever bandwagon and enjoy the persecution of some minority or some yeah. religious group. So I understand the anxiety. And so I think it's important to recognise that first, that it's coming, perhaps coming from a good place. Mm. But, yeah, there's also that has to be balanced against, as you've very eloquently put it, the damage that, religion or some religions some ways of um, practicing religions can do to people and the indoctrination such as we experience I think is one of them um, so yeah I mean I've written about this in in medium um, and uh, there's a there's a particular type of public policy problem called a wicked problem and I think this is what is described as a wicked problem and wicked problems are very very complex because mm. they have um like different ways of looking at it. if you look at it from a different angle it suddenly looks like oh you know we, we're this is hate speech um, but you mm. look at it from another angle and it's protecting children and then you've mm. got people in power who are also weighing in and then you've got um, lots of vested interests it's a very very complex question but i i agree that uh, we do need to start talking about it. I mean, examples are, you know, I, I work in in um, the private sector. I, I work in businesses, and it's very clear that if you were to say on a job description, you know, this this job is only open to men, um, women cannot apply, and um, only a heterosexual person can can actually hold this role. <laughs> yeah, you're um, in trouble. You know, you'd, you'd be <laughs> you'd be um, hold it in front of uh, a tribunal quicker than you know you could say equality so um that's very clear we have set a legislation in the uk 2010 i think it is the equality act um i'm sure you have similar mm. laws in australia and in the states yeah. will have the same sorts of things um but of course religion is exempt from that entirely so we have situations where yeah i mean all the elders in kingdom halls are men. All the ministerial servants are men. Um, you can't even touch the microphones if you're a woman. No. Um, but no. go, go to you know churches, and some of them now obviously are embracing uh, female 
priests and clergy and so on, but others are not. And so there is a uh, there is an exception to all of those rules that you can basically do what you want. It seems if you are a religion, mm. so that I think that is an anomaly that that yeah we, we need to at least talk about. That that's not saying it's easy, but yeah, no, maybe uh, the conversation is where we start. What conversation has to be where it starts, and I the other thing is accountability. Yeah, there needs to be accountability because to use your example there of an employment situation and where you're hiring and that there are conditions and well legislation around advertising the same in how you manage your staff and your team you can't harass you can't bully you can't discriminate we all know these things and you have to have a grievance policy you have to have ways of how you performance manage and how you provide support people through that process and it's all very fair and has to follow national employment standards and all sorts of things right so employers there are account there's accountability if an employer mistreats and abuses an employee why is there not that same mechanism in religion why is there no way that someone who has been abused within a religion has recourse to say you know you, you can't do that you sh- you've done the wrong thing that that needs to mm. so okay i suppose that's i suppose that's a way of looking at it of okay it, yes you can believe what you want to believe but if you cause harm there has to be accountability for that yeah i i, th- I think that's that's a great example and um yeah it, it lots of religions certainly cults at the bottom of them are businesses in my view anyway. So they really should come under those um, pieces of legislation. You know, they are making money, they're building property, they're um, selling that property, they're making profits. Um, and yeah, in my view anyway. Um, oh, I, you, I am you... so there with you. I'm so <laughs> there with you. I look at the Australian Commission, um, sorry, the mm. Charities Commission, how like there doesn't appear to be a code of conduct or a standard of of behaviour that organisations that get charity status in Australia, which then means they're tax exempt, have to abide by. And and yeah. I would think, surely, there has to be some kind of standard of this is the baseline of behaviour we expect from an organisation that gets charity status. And if you breach that code of conduct what you risk is your charity status. And that way it's, you believe what you want to believe, you teach what you want to teach, that's fine, no problem, but you're not getting it on the taxpayer's money, not when you cause harm. I think that's a really good point. It might, that might be one of the areas of attack, if I can use that word, um, that um, you know hit these groups where their, their money is. And um, yeah, that, that is, I think, quite painful for them. And the irony, of course, is when, when a company is charitable, uh, sorry, when a religion is a charity, when a group is charity, the the state essentially is subsidising their activity through this charitable status, through tax yeah. exemption. So it means that people like you and I who have left, some people who are being currently shunned by their families are essentially helping to support <laughs> the very religions that are doing this to them. So, yeah, it's um, clearly something needs to be done. I mean, obviously, 
the reason we're here is because of the historical legacy that we have and the fact that these the nations we live in are so steeped in in religious history you know they they are it's part of the foundation of, of many nations or at least it's perceived to be so um that's i think that's part of the the problem it's steeped in the culture but um mm. yeah worth asking those questions again i think and mm. um, you know Definitely. continuing to to bang that drum yeah absolutely um, yeah, it's interesting. We had a not long ago, it may have been the last but one podcast, um, where we had that very debate and and I kind of um asked that question to myself about belief, you know, should we respect everybody's belief? Um and instinctively the answer is yes, because I think people do have the right to believe what they want to believe, but of course beliefs then lead to behaviour, and that's the bit that then so I guess, as you said, where that where it stops, we can't stop people believing what they want to. But what we can do is legislate for the behaviour and the activities. Mm. Um, but legislation is one thing; um, talk is another. So I think I think it's yeah. fine to um, uh, to argue against some of these beliefs that then go on to cause people to do things that are antisocial or not in their own best interest. Really. Well. There you go. I think we've solved that one then, Cherie. Yeah, we have. (laughs) (laughs) Done and dusted. (laughs) Sorted. Right. Okay, well, we'll do another one next week. Uh, Okay, well, um, I've thoroughly enjoyed talking to you, Cherie. It's um, it's been absolutely fantastic. Um, It's great to hear someone so positive and doing so many fantastic things, interesting things. you know, as a Jehovah's Witness, your future would have been to be a good wife and, um, you know, do what you're told, knock yeah. on the doors. Yeah. Um, and that that's it. So think about your life now. It's fantastic. Uh, so thank you so much for joining us. We'll put links on the show notes. Anything else you want to send me, Cherie, please do. Um, so great court hacker we've, we've spoken to today. Thank you. Cherie D'Souza. <laughs> thank you so much. I'm very happy to be on the Cult Hacker Show. Awesome. (laughs) Fantastic. Cult Hackers is an Evil Sheep production.